0: Hey, everybody. So this is Todd at Value Plays, and this is the inaugural Value Plays podcast. Um, I want to say um, up front, uh, thank you for the questions that I got. It's going to be a lot um, a lot better for us to do this if, I, if I'm answering questions that you guys are interested in and you guys have concerns about or thoughts about, or even if you have stock ideas, send that in too. We can talk about that. We can talk about anything we want you macroeconomics, whatever. Uh, but the more, uh, the more I'm answering questions and just not sitting here talking. I think the more productive it's going to be from everyone, for everyone. So, and again, I have no um, preconceived format, time frame on this. Um, I know there's other podcasts, and maybe we can start doing video later on. But I kind of wanted to at least get this off the ground, uh, at least put it out there and see what people are thinking about it and. Obviously I'll take your feedback and anything you have to say i'll um I'll incorporate into the into the podcast if I'm able and we'll who knows we'll see where this goes um what's gonna happen is gonna happen so obviously I won't give anyone's names from the questions um I'll just go through the questions and um I'll answer them to the best I can Some of the questions involve uh the same stocks, so I will obviously just Answer, you know, if three people want to know about Fannie or Freddie, I may not answer your specific question, but I'm going to address Fannie and Freddie in uh, because some people are asking about it. So um, so here's here's some questions. Uh, number one, uh, what are the top three stocks, including the current stocks that you own? You want to buy if the whole U.S. market drops significantly due to the trade war? What is your overall investment strategy for the trade war? What are your perspective on the trade war, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So I guess I have to start by saying this. I don't believe we are in a trade war or we're going to have a trade war. Um, Trade is growing month over month, year over year. Um, The economy is clipping along at around 3%. Um, Personal incomes are rising. Unemployment is falling. The ratio of unemployment claims to populations at probably the lowest level in history um, housing is growing, banks are profitable, there's nothing out there to suggest, or in the midst of a trade war, or the tariffs that are being um, implemented on Chinese goods, and they're implementing on us, is ne- negatively affecting the economy as a whole. Now, are there certain sectors and certain smaller companies that are being affected, and are larger companies going to use this as an excuse If they underperform in a quarter absolutely that is true Um, but I think the overall effects on the US economy um, are being wildly um, exaggerated in the media Um, they're negligible negligible at best right now and you know even so even you know so there's Chinese companies uh, that what they've done is just open a shipping office in Vietnam so they'll produce goods in China ship it to Vietnam It shows up on a U.S. port from Vietnam. It's not subject to tariffs. So there's many, many ways around these tariffs. And again, you're talking tariffs on $250 billion of goods out of trillions and trillions of dollars that are traded each year. So we're not even talking a full-scale tariff on every good coming in from every country. So yes, there are some effects of it, some negative, some positive. But I think at the end of the day, Um, the amount of trade that goes on between two countries is so large and so important to both companies that we will come to a solution. And I think right now what you're seeing is more political posturing than anything else. So I think they'll get it done, and I think a lot of these worries will will kind of go away. That being said, uh, top three stocks you want to own if the U.S. market drops. Well, I think the obvious thing is you want to own U.S. companies that are not exposed to China. So U.S. companies that are not either importing a significant amount of their product from China or buying significant amount of product from China um, are the companies that you probably want to be careful with. Um, if you're looking, AIG would not be affected by the tariffs. Uh, a lot of your banks would not be affected by tariffs. They're not importing or exporting um, goods or services from China. And, and as far as I know, uh they're what they do is not subject to uh, any sort of tariff restriction um a company like Primoris that we own uh, they're not importing exporting anything from china um, there's plenty of us-based companies that we have uh callaway callaway makes their golf balls and their clubs in the u.s so they're they're not going to be um hampered with any kind of uh china tariff so u.s centric companies or companies that aren't u.s centric but aren't doing large scale uh, production or anything in China. I think you're going to be fine with and again. I, I don't see this as a likely scenario But that's where you want to look um, What do you think of the trading strategy for the common stock of Fannie Mae Freddie Mac Buy common now before recapped and sell them soon And or buy two years put options after re IPO real estate because of potential massive dilution right after the completion of IPO think of buying two years call options um, I Think um, I think we're going to have a decent idea before any of this happens, before you're going to be able to buy options or sell options on Fannie and Freddie. Uh, you're going to have an idea of what sort of valuation you're looking at at the common stock and then you'll be able to figure out what it's going to be worth over the next couple of years. So I don't think that that's necessary to put all the energy into that thought process because... A lot of that's going to be done for you ahead of time. Um, I own the common, and I own the preferred. And I'm under the assumption that the common, common will still go with something, and the preferred will probably convert at par to reduce the interest payments on the two entities. Um, and yes, there will be a big dilution, but they're big companies. I think the government will probably sell off at stake as part of the IPO process, um, like they did in AIG, like they did in Ally Financial, and every other institution where they had warrants after tarps after tarp. Um, I think it'll be a very similar transaction to those which are beneficial for everyone involved. So um, I'm not looking at call options or put options in the common stock yet because we have no idea what form it's going to form their IPO. If they're if they talking about it's going to come out and collaborate that interview that's I put on the site today. He's looking at early next year to have some sort of concrete IPO plan in place, which means that by second half of this year, uh, we need to be having talked about plans and begin that process because it's a process. So I think very soon after June, depending on when June that report comes out, we're going to start having more of an idea of what direction they're going in, of what they're going to do. And I think the the price of shares of both the preferred and the common stock are going to adjust rather quickly to that, um, which is why I don't trade in and out of the, the stocks because they're saying June right now. You may start getting rumors in a week and a half about what's coming out. Uh, they may not drop. They may just wake up one morning on June 7th, and you may have the plan, or maybe June 30th. That may be pushed back to July. I don't know. But you know, I think if you're trading, trying to trade in and out of the stocks of the GSEs right now, Um, I think you're really gambling on waking up one day to a headline and this common stock's gone from $2 to $10 when it opens and you've missed everything. So I'm just sitting in it being patient, operating under the assumption that um, the common stock retains value. Um, I don't think government is going to get rid of it because if government gets rid of it, it gets rid of their warrants and the preferred converts at par. So I could be looking at, 5x on my preferred investment, and the common stock could be who knows, it could be 2x, 10x, we don't know. Um, but that's a you know, the way I have it structured, even if I'm completely wrong on the common, it goes to zero. I still make money if my preferred converts a par. So that's that's where I'm looking at. Um, what are the resources, either online or offline? Do you find investment ideas? Where to find significant, unsymmetric ideas as GGP? What are the online resources normally used? Um, I read. So I have the Value Line small and mid-cap survey that I go through every every month, every week when it comes out. Um, and a lot of it I just read. I read all day long. And obviously as a value investor, you have to be a little contrarian. So I will, you know, see what's hated. I'll tune in to CNBC every now and then and I'll, I'm on Twitter all the time in StockTwits, and I kind of look for the areas where there's the most negative sentiment, uh, there's the most negative news, and then I start digging around there to see if it's warranted. Um, I look for things trading below historical valuations and try to figure out why. Why is this trading there? Um, should is that legit, or is it just because of something short-term happened that people are overreacting to? Um, so that's kind of where I look. There's no one resource there's no one idea there's no one thing that i do i'm just always online looking and seeing what's going on you know you can set up your google alerts for bankruptcies or chapter 11s and things like that you know the ggp thing is a a rare event something like that happens Um, but you know if you're out there and, and you're looking at stuff and you know 2009 those kind of things were all over the place 2008 2009 so they're a little harder to find now because the economy is so much better than it was. And there's so many companies out there, but there's still companies and sectors, you know, energy. I'm in energy now because energy is, uh, energy has been getting bashed for a long time. Um, but a lot of these companies have fixed their problems. They, um, they're doing much better than they were before. And, um, they're not trading at a valuation that, uh, reflects that improvement. So that's what I'm looking at now. Um, Let's find another question here. Oh, I just erased one. Hold on. What uh, was on TPL? Uh, why hold TPL given the, the drama around it right now? Even if Horizon wins, um, uh, they can't affect change because there's three trustees. So the reason to be in TPL right now is not because uh, the current results are bad in that we need horizon to get in there to fix it uh, current results are fantastic and I think we make I make a lot of money in TPL whether horizon wins or not I think if horizon wins and brings the expertise that they can bring to it and brings more disclosure to it I think we can win a lot more all right so I guess TPL is, is sitting on a gold mine, and we're arguing over the best way to mine that gold, right? They're sitting on some of the prime land in the world for oil extraction right now. 900,000 acres. They're going to make a lot of money, no matter what. Now, I, my point is that if Horizon wins, they can make a lot more. Can the two current trustees overrule um, the Horizon um, nominee? Yes. But there's nothing to stop him. It's a lifetime appointment. There's nothing to stop him from disclosing more things. There's nothing to stop him from going out in public and saying what he thinks and having shareholders start putting more pressure on uh, on the other trustees. And the other trustees have already, in several ways, sort of backed down and sort of folded. And you know, Maybe part of the reason that they are so defensive is because they've done things that maybe don't really pass a smell test. So maybe there's some worry there that When he gets in there and he starts looking around that one of them maybe resigns or something like that. And then we have another vote. And so um, I don't think it's a question of we only win if Horizon wins. I think we win either way. I think we win a lot more if Horizon wins. And the other question the gentleman had was on Howard Hughes. Why continue to hold it? Um, Why not get rid of it? Um, I maintain and I still maintain um, that... Uh, we're right around um, the corner with Howard Hughes. I think the seaport is getting to a point. I was there in the fall. I'll be back down there this summer. Um, the seaport is could be coming to an inflection point uh, where a lot of stuff has started to open. It's you know People have been talking about it, talking about it. A lot of it hasn't been open. It's a gorgeous area and it still attracts a ton of people despite the fact that it was probably 30% open when I was there. That's going to jump up dramatically this summer. Uh, the rooftop venue is packed and they have concerts. There's always people around. There's always tourists going through there. The area around is getting built up. They have the parking garage. I mean, they have the uh, parking lot they bought, they could put a building on. They have the hotel. So there's a lot going on there. Um, based on their estimates, it's going to generate between 45 and $55 million a year. That is not included in the current $320 million NOI figure. Um, and I'm amazed at the number of people I talk to who talk about the stock and don't realize that. Um, that's a huge jump in NOI that's not in any estimates or any figures from them right now. And that could be materially higher because of some of the ownership um, structure of some of the leases where they're getting piece of the profits or things like that. So I think it's going to be fine. Um, you know, I guess my question would be, so um, if you're looking at HHC right now, and you're thinking about, I'm going to sell it, uh, buy it back in a year. And when things are better, then I'm kind of like, well, why do I want to do that? Right. So, I, you know, so you're in Howard Hughes at 35 bucks. You're going to think about selling it now, depending, you know, you're going to pay long term capital gains on it. So you're going to pay, you know, $22 in taxes for every share you own. Um, Twenty percent. The question then is, do you have an investment that you're gonna make, that you're gonna that you know you're gonna make that twenty percent on in the next year, right? Because if you're selling Howard Hughes right now, you're giving up twenty percent of your gains. You're giving up twenty percent, so you're gonna have to invest in other other option. You need to make up that twenty percent for it to be worth selling Howard Hughes. If your new investment only goes up ten percent. Well, you're still out to 20 percent so that's my thinking on that and i you know if 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 i didn't see um if i didn't see the upside there if i didn't see the extra gains there then i would be more inclined to sell but i do think the seaport is right around the corner i do think that people are going to start to figure things out and you know when they reach an noi of 350 million or so they're going to be generating more cash than they need for the redevelopment then you maybe see a dividend then maybe you see stock buybacks. You see something else go on. Um, I don't think they need to make an acquisition. They have, you know, I think $9 million of entitlements Where I mean 9 million, 9 million square feet of entitlements just in Hawaii. They don't need to go out and buy anything to do anything. So they're going to have some extra cash in about a year or so. And that's going to give a lot of people what they want. Right now, it's not the best use, but in a year or so, it will. So, you know, I've been in this thing for a long time. And I'm inclined to wait rather than pay taxes on it right now. If I'm wrong and it goes, stays flat, I'm still up to 20% in taxes I would have paid. So, you know, it's, for me, it's, that's just the way I look at it and that's the way I think about it. Um, let's see. Uh, interesting hearing a brief review of your favorite current holdings. Not so much back like what you think now into the future. What's the most attractive? So my just for to offer most attractive slash your favorite current holdings based on the current price of marketations. Not every podcast, but maybe once a month and a quarter. Okay, so this is a tough question because we have several different types of holdings and not all holdings are suitable for everyone. So I guess I'll have to divide it up into, you know, if if I was investing in dividend stocks, then my favorites would obviously be compass diversified. Uh, you know, it's 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 I'm making 11% of my investment on I think the current yield on it's about 8% and Our two pipeline companies that are paying 5% each in dividends um, All three businesses are stable. All three businesses are growing um, I don't see near-term risk to any of them and Other than you know general market conditions recession that kind of thing with no specific risks to any of them um, and they both are paying dividends well above um, anything else you can basically find out there and they're rock-solid safe dividends at this point So that would be that if I had to name my current favorite speculative plays that have the most potential dramatic upside clearly the GSEs are those uh, But clearly they have the most risk Involved so if you're you know, if you're in your 70s in retirement um, Putting half your money in the GSEs would not be a wise idea um, But the payoff on that could be spectacular i love chesapeake energy i love what they're doing there i think that's only a matter of time before the market starts figuring out the switch from natural gas to oil they're going to be cash flow positive i'm pretty sure next year uh, which will be a huge left for the company and i think that actually makes them a takeout target um i think that there are plenty of deep pocketed companies who would be very happy to buy the assets um, chesapeake has uh once chesapeake has chesapeake has quote unquote gotten their act together and done some of the dirty work, um, so I see significant upside in shares uh, from Chesapeake Energy uh, in the future. I'm I'm very excited about that. Um, they they just keep performing uh, year after year after year. They keep doing a good job. Um, if I had to pick, you know, your moderate growth stock that's safe, but you know not exciting. Obviously, you're looking at AIG. Obviously, you're looking at Bank of America, um, things like that. I think Apple is just going to keep plugging along, creating gobs of cash. Um, Seritage, the REIT, um, they're not paying a dividend this year, and that's the right choice because they've gotten so much land to redevelop from Sears um, that it's it's a more better use of cash right now rather than taking on the extra debt. It's use some of that cash for operating purposes and to redevelop that property. I mean, it's... They're taking property of four dollars a square foot, redeveloping it, and getting twelve to thirteen dollars a square foot for it. You know, they're like a four x, actually sixteen dollars a square foot, foot. I'm sorry, sixteen to seventeen. I should say, um, that's those are amazing economics, and they have ninety nine projects in the work right now, and these are going to start coming online in the next year or two, and you're going to see NOI there just start to go through the roof, and you know, the 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 thesis that was out there where all Sears were in crappy locations were just was just wrong. Uh, Sears was lousily run, has great locations, but it was poorly run, and that's going to become really apparent. It has become apparent with what Saratosh has been able to do with releasing that space. Um, and then there's other well, you know, maybe your high growth ones like Inner Inner um, IIPR and and things like that. That um, I think is. Right now the only publicly traded medical cannabis REIT in the New York Stock Exchange or out there at all. Um, I think they're well run. They have a, a, uh, a managed team that ran a specialty REIT before, did amazing with it before it was bought out. Uh, they have no debt. Um, they're just really in a sweet spot and they're in full command of their market. They're 100% leased. Uh, every, you know, everything they're acquiring is leased. They don't have any empty space at all. You know, they're growing that income 400% a year, revenues 100% a year, 80% growth in their dividend or oh, year over year, every quarter. So I think that um, that's just in its infancy of what it can do. You gotta remember, 30, only 33 states right now have legalized medical marijuana. And even those that do have it have restrictions that are being lessened every day. So even in the, even in the states that do have medical marijuana, restrictions are lessening on that, which is empowering more growth and giving more opportunities to the company. So um, I, you know, I, I don't own any stocks in the um, recreational space just because you know it's kind of like the internet was in 99, 98. There's going to be some spectacular winners and spectacular losers. And um, the laws around it are switching daily. And depending on what the laws do, then it depends on how some of these companies do where they're located. So I think it's a little bit more of a gamble uh, being in that space right now. So I'm a little hesitant to get into it. That doesn't mean people aren't going to make crazy money in it. It's just for me, I'm a little, I'm a little nervous about uh, getting into that one right now. Um, let me see what we got. Um, more about the potential value of Howard Hughes. So lot, a couple of questions on Howard Hughes. So I, I guess... If I was to do a hyper conservative view of what I think Howard Hughes is worth, um, so I would do the land, NPC uh, land and future development, Houston, Vegas, Columbia. Um, I think maybe when I did it last, I think you know this is this is all. I think this is my base case scenario. I don't think this is being too optimistic at all. I think there's lots of upside these various areas. Um, but I think, so, I go about $2.8 billion for the MPCs. Operating assets, about 4.7. You know, that's Houston, Summerlin, Columbia, Hawaii, New York. Um, if I'm going to go other assets, I'm going to include in that Seaport. Uh, ward condos and retail, uh, North Wacker, um, $475 million. No, I'm sorry. I'm breaking that down. Um, Seaport, Ward, and other assets, we're going to go $2.8 billion. So it gives me a total in that asset value roughly 7 dollars um, about 170 175 a share. Um, and I think that's conservative. I think the Seaport can go a lot higher. I think we're only scratching a surface on ward, you know, we're, we're selling tower six right now and out of probably 15 eventual towers. And there's really marginal retail there at best. Um, I think the retail and office space, uh, is going to be huge there, but there's really, it's really guesswork to try and quantify it at this point because there's not a lot of plans out there for it. So I think that's real upside there. Um, uh, Again, it depends on how fast they reach it um, and how much the market can wait. Um, everything changes if they decide to spin off a re division in two years. Um, I think that that re division will be worth quite a bit of money because you have to remember they have monopolies everywhere they operate. You know, they're a monopoly in Ward, a monopoly in Summerlin, a monopoly in Bridgeland, a monopoly in Summerlin, a monopoly in Columbia. Um, they own everything, and they have all the development rights to do whatever they want with it. So um, I think that would garner a higher multiple um, from the investment community for REIT, for REITs in those areas. Um, but again, that could be a year from now. That could be two years from now. There's a lot that could happen between now and then. But you know, I, I think my 170 is a pretty conservative estimate for them, given what's going on. And I do, and I've said this a thousand times, I'll say it again. I think once the seaport has more clarity, um, shares adjust dramatically, right now, you know, given, so I think the company both hurt itself and helped itself with this leasing. So I think they helped themselves for the long term with these leases that give them ownership. Um, You know, they're taking a lower price per square foot, but they're participating more on the upside of these businesses. And I think for the long term, that's really going to help. But I think now in the short term, it's hurtful because they can't come out and say, we're leasing property at X number of square foot. Here's what our NOI is going to be because it's so unknown. And the leases are below market because the the ownership stakes are taking some of them, that it makes the financials of the seaport very muddled. And it makes it hard for people to put a number on it until people can actually put a number on it, until they're actually showing money coming in. And here's our participation, and you know here's what our effective rent per square foot is, right? So they can say well, we're getting this much, our profit percentage is this much, so our effective rent per square foot on the space is X versus the local market, which is Y, and we're this much better. Um, then you're gonna get a dramatic revaluation of the seaport, and that's gonna be reflected in shares right away. But until we get that, it's I think it's just gonna kind of sit where it is. So. Um, I think this is a big summer summer fall for the Seaport. Uh, the concert series is out. They have some great concerts coming in. Um, I was there for one last year. A band I had no idea who they were, uh, but it was packed. It was crowded. The, the venue is amazing. Um, they just do a first class job with everything they do. So I'm optimistic it'll happen. I know it's been a it's been a tough slog, and getting anything done in New York City is not, not particularly easy. And you know, I think this has made it. They they made it as difficult as they could. So, um, let me see if I have any other questions. And obviously, <clears throat> you guys can send me questions whenever you want um, during the week. Um, oh, here's one. Hold on. Uh, another one about HAC. The problem. Um, oh, the leaning tower. So the lean, <coughs> leaning tower in New York City. That's not a Howard Hughes property so i don't know if you know it's going to have to be torn down or if they can fix it or what the deal is i know construction has stopped on it uh, that's a fortis property it's not it's it's not on 161 main lane it's not a it's not a seaport property from howard hughes so um, it really has no effect on them other than the fact that um you know people might not be living there right away but i don't think that's material to howard Hughes' results um the other question he had was on AIG plus the warrants and HHC so AI so most of you probably remember I was uh, Almost done with AIG Q3 q Q4 last year um, I Felt like we were doing resets constantly. we were going from you know shrink the company to buy back shares uh, to stabilize the company buy back shares to not buy back shares grow the company to now we're acquiring companies and I felt like every every year, year and a half, we were redefining the direction the company was going on. Underwriting results were nowhere near what they should be. And I was growing impatient uh, with the rate of progress. I said in Q4 um, that I was going to give them Q1 to see where they were. And this was not just some arbitrary timeline on my part. This was you know based on... Managed statements the management made based on the earning costs, based on what I was reading in the 10 Qs and the, the the quarterly reports, that they were committed to 2019 being a much better year financially. So, I, you know, Duperalty's is a very successful insurance guy. Um, gave them one more quarter to see what I thought they could do with it. And it looks, I mean, based on Q1, that you know they had an underwriting profit. Now, granted, most of that was due to cost cutting um, but even without the cost cutting uh, they still ran a small underwriting profit uh, which is the first time that's happened in a long time um you know the prop i didn't i'm not paying too much attention to the overall profit growth because you know investment income had a huge jump because of q1 and that's not going to happen uh that's because of what the market did that's not going to happen every quarter so to expect you know 30 or 40 percent investment income uh jump over q2 uh growth over in q2 i think is not likely um so uh, i'm not overly cons- i'm not overly impressed with the profit growth but the insurance results based on everything i could read and figure out so far did improve dramatically uh, a lot of that's due to the reinsurance that they signed and they did under that for whatever reason peter hancock was not really willing to do <coughs> Um, that has stabilized things and given more predictable returns. Um, management was highly confident in the um, earnings call that um, in in their outlook for the rest of the year. Now, obviously, it's an insurance company, so a a huge, large-scale natural disaster, you know, obviously changes things. But you know, based on expected outcomes and typical kind of things and reassurance they have in place, they seemed very confident. So. Um, while I haven't, um, while I haven't um, given them the all clear, um, I'm still going quarter to quarter with them because clearly, if there's a big reversal in underwriting results in Q2, then it looks like Q1 was the aberration, not the norm, and we'll have to reevaluate then. So um, I'm I'm much more optimistic now than I was in Q3, Q4 about AIG, but I'm still paying close attention to it. And as far as the warrants go, and I'm just holding the warrants to expiration and um, depending what happens to now and then with shares and things like that or whatever. So, um, and, and again, you can exercise those on the day of expiration. So you still have plenty of time with the warrants. Um, so if you believe AIG is going to continue to improve and trade towards book value, which would be in the 60s, then you know I suggest holding on to it. So it's, there's definitely value there. There's no debate whether or not there's value in the company. And it's been there for years. Uh, I think the question is, is are they going to be able to realize it in a reasonable time frame uh, and not have to have a new CEO in, in the next eight months that gives us another direction we're going to go? It's going to take a year to get there. So I think that's the biggest thing we're worried about right now. So as long as underwriting results... As long as they can operate an underwriting profit, Wall Street's going to reprice shares. It's that they have been able to do it consistently. That has been the reason Wall Street has has not given them the full credit for what they're worth. Um, but once they can consistently operate an underwriting profit, they're going to trade a book or above like other insurance companies do. Um, the discount to it right now is just because they haven't done that. So performance will guide um, share price appreciation. Um, think. Uh, oh, there was another question about why why continue to hold Bank of America um, at this point. So to me, Bank of America is, is a play on the U.S. housing market. I think they're the number one housing lender right now. Um, they're consistent. They're good. I think Moynihan is a first-class operator. They're buying back gobs of stock. Um, the dividend um, it's probably going to only be around 2%, which isn't great. And I, I don't know. i like it to be a little bit higher, but if they're going to keep buying back uh, tens of billions of dollars a year in stock, you're going to get the share price appreciation. Um, and again, this is another, another one too. You know, if I needed cash for another investment, I'd be perfectly happy to sell some things. But again, I'm going to take a 20% hit to Bank of America if I sell it with the taxes. So... You know, taxes are a cost. Taxes are an investment cost. And you can't say I made 100% in Bank of America and then go out and pay 20% in taxes. Well, you didn't make 100% then. You just gave 20% of your profits up. So, you know, if if I'm going to give up 20% of those profits, then I need to be putting that into something that's going to generate more than 20% for me in the next year. And while I have some things I think I can do that in, I also have the cash to be able to invest in those things so that I don't have to make that decision of what do I have do I have to why do I have to sell A to buy B I don't have to do that at this point so you know when I get to that point I'll make that decision or if I look at Bank of America or if I look at the economy and say you know what maybe we're looking at half a percent growth next year instead of three percent or you know unemployment starting to climb so you could be getting closer to recession then I'm more likely to sell my bank because then I could see a 10, 15, 20% drop in share price in the next year. And if I do, then I'll be happy to buy it back then. But um, everything in the economy is well, the macro environment is great. Everything I follow as far as... um, um, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. Everything I follow in terms of uh, the macro economy and the, the measures of how I... How I look at things, and if things are growing or not, they're also going in the right direction. So it's very rare for that to happen and therefore there to be any kind of recession or even a significant slowdown. Now, I don't know if we're going to grow 2%, 25 or 3.2% this year or next year. I don't know. But I'm highly confident we're going to keep growing. Um, I do think that Dodd Frank continues to get relaxed, which will help mortgage lending, which will help the banks too. So, um, you know, I. I like Bank of America. I like where I'm at with that. I, I obviously added a little bit when I converted the warrants and I sold the other warrants. Um, so that, that's where I am with Bank of America. And I'm happy to sit there um, versus cash in and pay taxes when I don't have to. I think that, so I guess that's the key. If you don't have to sell it to buy the next thing you want to buy, why sell it and pay taxes on it unless you think the growth is gone? And if you don't think the growth is gone, if you don't think what's happening is going to increase the share price, well, then, yeah, then sell it and make that choice. But if you still think it's going to keep growing and do well, why voluntarily give that up plus another 20%, 15%, whatever your tax rate is, uh, why give that up? I'm not, I'm not inclined to do it. So um, Not right now, anyway. You know, Everything could possibly change. But um, I think, let me do one more quick look. Yep, I think that's it for all the questions. So um, I don't know how long I've been blabbing for, but we'll, we'll see. So I'll try and upload this 37 minutes. All right, so I'll try and upload this and it'll be on the podcast and hopefully it works out and hopefully it sounds OK. Um, please feel free to give me any any feedback whatsoever, positive or negative. Uh, use the subs at valueplace.com. Email and just put podcasts in the title, uh, so I can keep those uh, emails separate from you know other in- inquiries I get about the website. And um, uh, please be completely honest with the feedback. I want to make this useful for you, and I want this to be something that people want to listen to. And if for some reason it's not or it could be better, please make suggestions and please offer up whatever you want to offer up, and I'll be more than happy to do my best to make it exactly what you guys want. All right. Uh, Hope everyone has a great and a safe weekend and we'll see you next week.